0: All right, Matthew twenty seventeen. the kind of chunk of scripture that we're going to look at tonight um, is it kind of expresses, honestly, some of my strongest desire for our church, um, and I feel like if we can get the ideas down and, and understand and put them in practice that Jesus is speaking of at the passage we look at tonight... Um, we're going to be really accomplishing what Jesus designed us to accomplish and how he designed us to live. So I'm like really excited to come to this section. There's not usually a time that I come to a section that I'm not excited about, but this one, like some others, I'm really excited about um, and I think is very important for us. So just to review, like we're moving through the, the Gospel of Matthew, And just very recently, we've kind of looked at um, how we can sometimes have a tendency, like some of the disciples are doing, like some of the Pharisees are doing in the gospel, we can have a tendency to point to ourselves and say, and kind of present to to God and to people, hey, look what I've done. Look what I've been able to accomplish. Enjoy. Perfect. Here. so we can have a tendency, like, like the disciples did a couple of weeks ago, when they're like, well, Jesus, look at what we've done. We've given up everything to follow you, as opposed to the rich uh, ruler who wasn't able to give up his son. We've done this for you, and they're pointing to the stuff that they've done, as opposed to, I think, what God would prefer we have a tendency to do, which is to focus on what God has done, and to focus on the great generosity and all that He's provided for us way more than we deserve in spite of what we've done, which was kind of some of what we learned in that parable of the laborers in the vineyard a couple weeks ago. So I was saying, like, the kingdom of God that, that Jesus and Matthew is describing is, it's not so much about what we do, but we're seeing it's about all that we've received from Jesus. And I read a quote last week, in the kingdom in which the first are last and the last first, there's no room for envious comparisons. I think we're seeing that there's, like, um, in God's kingdom, a lot of the, the world systems are kind of turned upside down. And you think, well, this is the way that it's supposed to be as far as this world is concerned. And it's like, well, no, God, Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, it's actually kind of opposite of what he thought. Like, just recently, you thought that rich people, those seem to be the greatest. Those are the people who have achieved something. And Jesus is saying, that's not necessarily the case. It's those who people who are like children. He's pulled in children a couple of times. The people who can't say they've accomplished anything. They just know the love of Jesus. And um, I, I know that the kingdom that we've been talking about, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, I know that it's hard um, to understand. Jesus spends parables explaining it. He talks for it in his longest recorded uh, little sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But it's it's hard to describe, and it's not what you expect to happen. The kingdom of God is, is almost opposite or upside down the way that the systems of the world operate. So just a couple examples. Jesus started out in the Sermon on the Mount saying, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted. It's like, well, that that's kind of opposite what we think. Or um, love your enemies. It's like, well, that that's opposite of what we think. It's not what we expect. He said, uh, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And uh, just last week, the last will be first and the first will be last. So these are things that we don't, like, naturally in an, in an earthly fleshly natural kingdom we don't expect things to work this way and the next lesson what we're going to look at today just kind of keeps developing a similar idea so uh, in matthew 2017 here's uh here's what it reads the f- first few verses jesus as jesus was going up to jerusalem so he and a bunch of people a crowd is heading towards jerusalem for passover he took the 12 disciples aside And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is the way that Jesus has been describing himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus is starting to talk here uh, in, in the last few chapters he's starting to get really specific with here's what what kind of the 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 purpose of my coming to this earth is this is the third time very recently that he said here's what's going to happen i'm going to die and um it's um well let's we'll come back to that in a second i'm getting ahead of myself He's speaking specifically about his mission on earth. He's he's heading to Jerusalem. This is kind of the the final trek to Jerusalem where he's going to die. And then we read on, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who we know from other places are James and John, their mom comes up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine, James and John, are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in the kingdom, Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. And then he says, Are you, and that you is, is the Greek is plural, so he's not just talking to mom anymore, but he must have turned and started talking to James and John. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard of it, they were indignant at the two brothers. So, like James and John and their mom are coming to Jesus saying, Hey, how you know, can 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 we be seated at your right hand and your left hand in, in these positions of authority and honor and power and might next to Jesus? And Obviously, the other disciples are are indignant or they're really angry about this. And who do you guys think you are? Like, why do you think you guys should have that position and so forth? And um, Jesus asked them, are you able to drink this cup? The cup uh, symbolizes oftentimes in the Old Testament suffering. So are you able to drink this cup kind of carries with it this idea of suffering. Like, oh, you want to be great? Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink, which is the cup of suffering? And um, So they're indignant Verse 25 Jesus called them to him and said You know that the rulers of the Gentiles Lord it over them Or domineer over them And their great ones exercise authority over them Verse 26 It shall not be so among you But whoever would be great Among you Must be your servant And whoever would be first among you Must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, just backing up a little bit, Jesus is predicting his death again. Interestingly, after each of these three times that Jesus is predicting his death, almost immediately after, there's this explanation of the disciples' misunderstanding of greatness or authority or power it's like jesus is talking about hey guys i'm about to go die and they're like well how can how can i have great authority it's like um, in chapter 16 verse 21 peter and the disciples have just announced jesus we believe that you are the messiah we believe that you're the the promised one that that has been promised to israel that's going to come rescue us you're the anointed king in the line of David, they've announced all of this, and then Jesus says, I'm going to go die, and Peter's like, may you never die, like that should never happen to somebody of such great status, the Messiah, and then in chapter 17, uh, Jesus again talks about how he's, he's going to go and he's going to die, and then the disciples almost immediately start asking, well, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, like they have these just these power struggles, and right now, same thing, he predicts his death. And then mom's saying, Hey, can my son sit at your right hand? It's like they the, the death of, of the Messiah is completely going by them because they're getting so caught up in, Oh my gosh, this is the Messiah. Well, maybe I can like hold on to his coattails, or maybe I can receive some kind of some kind of status or power or authority or position or honor because I'm with him. And they're completely missing what he's saying: that the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to die. So Um, Mom asks, I don't know if any of y'all have moms or dads or relatives that do things like this, but mom is like, Jesus, would you give to my sons greatness? Would you give them recognition, this seated at your right hand and your left hand, would you give them authority, would you give them rule, would you give them power? And um, maybe she's believing and they're believing rightly who Jesus is and that he does hold all authority and all power. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever had, like my mom or and other family members, like to name drop sometimes at the people that I know or that I've been able to meet or whatever, right? So like, I years ago I worked in the music industry and I was able to meet some kind of famous people and go over to their house. and. And so, some relatives. Anytime that can possibly come up in conversation, they're going to double chair and You know, went over to so and so's house and this and that, and or maybe, maybe we do that for ourselves, and we name drop, and we think somehow we're going to have some kind of greatness by association to somebody else that is great. And um, so the other disciples, they're mad at James and John. Come in. You're all right. Um, we've got a couple. Of shares over here. Oh, yeah. oh, cool. Come on in, guys. Front row. Very bad. So the disciples are looking at James and John. Who do you guys think you are? There's this power struggle going on, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't know what you're arguing about. You're not understanding what true greatness is. And then he says this. This is kind of the, the, the central point to what comes before, and I think even what comes after. Verse 25, he says, you know that the rulers are the Gentiles. Here, here's how people that are, that are outside the people of God that, that know nothing of his kingdom, here's how they act. Those rulers rule it over them, over the people. They domineer them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. And he says these, um, these words, whoever would be great among you, it's, it's kind of this oxymoron kind of type language, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, or paradox. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, the God himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men, which we're going to come back to that. That's kind of a real purpose statement of Jesus of, of why he came here to earth to give his life as a ransom or to pay, to, to purchase slaves out of their slavery, the, the, the debt or the money that it would take, that's the ransom that he pays, not coming to be served, but to serve and do, do that. We'll talk about that in a minute later. So, I want to like reflect for just a second on on greatness. Okay. Greatness, and this is going to be interactive, so get ready. So, um, there's a couple of different types of greatness that are described here and other places in Scripture. Um, We're we're going to call the kind of two options. Man's kingdom, the kingdom of the world, Satan's kingdom, honestly, and God's kingdom. And I want to just ask you guys a question, um, like, from, we'll start on this side, from from the perspective of this world, kind of a, a secular, like, not considering God and spirit, Jesus, like, uh, the, the natural course of things, what we hear everybody uh, in, in the world talking about, um, how does one exercise greatness over here? Um, if you're great or if you want to be great or, or think authority, power, honor, position, if you want to be great, what should you do, or how should you act, or what should you be like? And I just want to list a, a few things there. So you guys can, you can look at the passage, you can just say from what you know. Apart from God, how does greatness occur in somebody's life? Confidence. Yeah. Okay, so if you have enough like, self confidence, or. Yeah. Okay. Helping others? Helping others? Okay. Um, Sometimes stepping on others, too. Yeah. So. Aggressiveness. Let's come back to that. Keep going. Um, oh, you don't have to keep going for like. <laughs> for like <okay>. <laughs> 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 Aggressiveness. I see what you're saying. Okay. So, so maybe at, at the ex, at the expense of someone else. Um, okay. Greed. Yeah, so um, pushing down others, okay. Importance. Okay, so like make, making a name for yourself, kind of, or, okay. Hello, hello. Networking. Okay, so kind of self-promotion. What would, how would you exercise, once you've achieved greatness, oh, how, do you, how do you then use that greatness? What do you do with it? Gloat. Okay. Yeah. Kind of pridefully, you, know, <laughs> you can influence others. Okay. Um, to do what you kind of want them to do, right? Exactly. Okay. Look. Look at the. one. Um, look at the passage here, specifically around verses. <laughs> Uh, ego. I put that one up there. I'm like, I've always been great, so I don't understand what he's a nice ego. <laughs> 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 look at so, okay. look at verse twenty five. Like, hmm. <laughs> how do how do the ruler what do the rulers of the Gentiles do? How do they exercise their authority, their greatness, their power? They lord it over them. It's like they like I am the great powerful Oz. Yes. Yeah. Must. Like, um mm-hmm. one of my friends, I don't know who it was, but he posted an article um, that Kim Jong mm-hmm. Un um, mandated that all the men get the same haircut as him. So it's like this leader, it's like, it's just, I have all this power to do what I say to you or pay the consequences, basically. It's mm-hmm. the same way. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of it maybe kind of can be described as you, you use that for you know, control. Um, dominance. What's that? Dominance. Yeah. Sometimes is it ENC or ANC? A N C. Okay, be. It <laughs> <laughs> it's A D. Um, Okay, good. So like considering now maybe what you know of, of scripture, what you know of the life of Jesus, what you need to see in this passage here, other passages, like contrast that. Oh, I would I would say here too, something like you you might like keep a distance from like lower. People, right? You think about a king or somebody who's like the, the great king, but They're not going to like associate with the peasants, or right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So on the other hand, like in God's kingdom, a little bit maybe what He's described here, a little bit maybe intuitively what you know or what you've learned. Like, what <coughs> what does the exercise of greatness look like uh, in Jesus or in God's kingdom? Humility. That's probably yeah. That's like the number one answer on the family <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> feud? Serving others? It's kind of like we're going opposite here, right? <laughs> okay. So the passage here it says, it uses two words um, being a slave and servant I think it says, right? Mm-hmm. Um, generosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All are welcome. Okay, yeah. Um, like no favoritism, maybe? Inclusive, Inclusive. that's a better word. (laughs) 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 Jesus says, like, real specifically what he's going to do, he's going to give his life. Kind of an example that he says. He kind of in this passage ties in with this idea of the, the cup, which I think is kind of suffering of some sort. So, kind of the idea of um, what the Gentiles do of lording it over somebody. That same word is used in First Peter. First um, Peter talks about how leaders in a church are supposed to lead. Um, And he says that they are supposed to lead not domineering over or not lording over, it's the same word, those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's how you're supposed to lead. Here's how you're supposed to exercise the responsibility that God's given to you. You're supposed to be an example. And he talks about what a shepherd does and how he cares for the flock. So but these are ways like you can you can see here these are ways in God's kingdom to exercise greatness that aren't what you expect to see if you're not considering God's kingdom. And true greatness, I think maybe it comes down to, I'm going to stop because I'm running out of room, is not you serve me but I serve you and it's not you must do this you how okay? so Jesus uses himself as an example, the son of man as he's describing um, uh, in the Matthew 20 passages he's describing leadership, authority and exercising that you need to be like this even as the son of man came to not to be served but to serve, so he's even using himself um, as an example of that. So greatness or authority in God's kingdom is not exercised as expected, exercised as expected. And the next little part is going to show Jesus giving very clear example of that. Okay, So uh, in verse 29, it says this, as they went out of Jericho, Jericho is like a day's walk from Jerusalem where they're headed, a great crowd followed him, probably many of them going to Jerusalem for Passover, as they would. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Another gospel writer um, mentions how they're beggars also, um, which is common if they were blind and they're sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And Son of David, if you've been with us, is kind of a recognition of hey, maybe this is the guy that's come out of the kingly line of David that's come now to rule Israel and the world. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them, be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So this crowd, many of whom are probably coming from Galilee, north, to Jerusalem, and have probably seen and heard about a lot of the miracles of Jesus. And many of them, including the disciples, even have some belief that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the king, the king. The, the son of God who, who's come to reign they're believing this and you can imagine the excitement that many of them would have um, you can imagine that they're they're like some of the disciples have proven they're kind of like jockeying for position to be around oh they've, they've figured out oh we're around this famous guy it's like when the the princess in all the Disney movies like becomes a peasant for a while, and then all of a sudden people realize, oh, that's her. Um, it's like, oh, they're, they're beginning to realize how great Jesus is. And it's like, well, I, I know this guy. I want to be around him. And they're trying to be around him. They're trying to have conversation. And you know, there's a, a famous person. Uh, if, if you're in near company, it's kind of like, well, maybe I can just kind of randomly talk to that person somehow and make it not look obvious. But like, maybe this stuff is going on with Jesus. And then, and while they're, they're walking, they're heading toward Jerusalem, there's like these pesky beggars blind, sitting on the side of the road in the dirt and they're crying out to Jesus and, and causing a little bit of ruckus. And I think what Matthew's doing here to some extent is, is, is trying to, I mean there's been lots of miracle stories and, and healings even of blind people in the gospel so far. But what we see happening here is we have Jesus being recognized to, to varying extents for, for who he is as this all-powerful son of God, the Messiah, the, the person of, of greatest power and honor and authority in the world, contrasted with these lowly uh, beggars on the street. And you guys let's see there's a, a contrast here between the two. And so the crowd—you can understand—who's all just excited to maybe be around Jesus. It's like, stop, stop bothering him. Who are you? Why are you guys talking to him? Do you know who this guy is? He's the greatest. He, he's the greatest guy ever. So don't, don't bother him. And I love, I love—you guys get that around like famous people, right? Like it's, 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 it's exciting. You just want to talk to him. So don't, don't bother. It's my turn. I want to like get my chance with him. And I love what Jesus, what happens in verse thirty-two. It says, and stopping. So this whole like crowd of people on their long trek to Jerusalem, probably like, they all stop. I assume, or some of them around Jesus. Stopping, Jesus called to them, these lowly guys, and said, "What do you want me to do for you?" They said to him, "Lord, let our eyes be open." And Jesus, in pity, or uh, that can be translated to in compassion, he touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight. And they followed him. So this Jesus, who's the greatest, is exercising his greatness by serving some of the lowest possible people in society. And so I think that maybe Matthew kind of answers this story in here for one of the reasons he does that is to show: hey, here, like if you really want. You want greatness? Like you're seeking after greatness in God's kingdom, you're going to get to the top that way by stooping lower and lower and lower and serving whoever it is, whoever it is that God brings into your path. Um, so then it goes on. We're just going to look at the the next little uh, chunk. There's another picture, kind of a final picture here of Jesus' greatness displayed in unexpected ways. So. Chapter twenty-one, verse one: When they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, which is literally right next to—I mean, to stones' throw, kind of from Jerusalem. If you had a water balloon launcher, you could like probably hit Jerusalem that (laughs) way. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied." And a colt with her, which I didn't know if you are like me. A colt is just a young male donkey, uncastrated. I don't think that matters, but that's just... <laughs> it matters to the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Sorry. laughs> The bloopers. So go into the village in front of you. Immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her, probably his mom. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill, and this happens so often in the book of Matthew, we're fulfilling prophecy as these events unfold. This took place to fulfill what was spoken. By the prophet, and this was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. You can read it in Zechariah 9.9. It was written 550 years before this happened. Matthew said, here's why this is happening the way it is, to fulfill prophecy, which said, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden.'" Something I just found out as I was studying this, like, also the Book of Zechariah in chapter fourteen, uh, it talks about Randy. You could maybe correct me on this, but it talks about how it seems that Messiah is going to enter the city from the east, like that from the Mount of Olives. And so, even the way that's that's this is the way that Jesus is actually coming into Jerusalem, which might I don't I don't know, but might like stir some some thoughts in people but it's this is kind of um, maybe it, maybe some of fulfillment of prophecy also but the way that remember if you've been with us in the book of Matthew the way that the Jews were expecting messiah to come Is very different than he's coming. They're expecting him to rule, to lead, to conquer Rome, to overturn, like to to rule from Jerusalem. They're expecting that that's going to happen. And Jesus is coming in not on some war horse, but he's coming in on a baby donkey, which a donkey in the day symbolizes peace, not war and aggression and overtaking. So again, greatness isn't—it's not being expressed how you would expect it to be expressed. And then um, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. So they're making a like a makeshift kind of red carpet and welcoming him in. Um, this is why a lot of Christians—they—they. They, called Palm Sunday before, he, uh, before the crucifixion, they put their palm branches on the ground um, the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David, kind of a messianic reference, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna that is, it's ancient kind of meaning was Lord save, save now and it was also kind of like just a, a way, like we say hallelujah, just to kind of give praise. So it's, it's asking for save, for, to, to, to be saved and giving praise and, and, and ascribing honor. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, to put it lightly, like literally they were thrown into commotion, because it's kind of an entrance that's being made here, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee Um, if you're like me I've been confused before reading this account usually we're reading in April or around um, Easter time Uh, and it's always been confusing to me because it's like why are these people they seem to be welcoming and receiving Jesus and they're they're shouting Hosanna and uh, it's almost like they're worshipping him and they're spreading out their cloaks and they're like they're excited that he's there and then a few days later, the crowd is saying, crucify him. Like, how did they make that turn? So uh, I just kind of wondered, you know, why is that the case? But it, it looks like what's happening here is probably many of those people, if not all of those people, or most of them who are chanting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, the son of David, all of these things, those are the people, they're not yet in Jerusalem until verse 10, and so these are the people that have actually come, they're on this trek to Jerusalem. They're probably the Galileans. It even says um, those who, uh, where is it, they went, oh, verse 9, the crowds that went before him, so they're coming before him, and the crowds that followed him. So it's this, it's this crowd that's coming with him, and it's differentiated from the, Jerusalemites the whole city that was stirred up the city asked the people who are in Jerusalem are like who is this guy and um, the crowds who are with Jesus probably Galileans coming to Passover they're the ones that are like this is a prophet and they're, and they're the ones that seem to be welcoming him I don't know if that like helps to clear some things up but I don't think they're as, quite as wishy washy as it, it sounds if you um, don't consider them two different kind of crowds of people um, So, kind of, I want to, like, kind of wind this down and and draw a few conclusions out of this. This entrance into the city of Jerusalem, of the Messiah, Jesus, was not what was expected um, of the people in Jerusalem. It's not what was expected of the people that Matthew was originally communicating this to. And here's what seems to be happening, and I think is a focus of this, this portion of the story, and ties it into the mother's request about her sons James and John and that they would have power. The greatest person of all eternity, the most powerful, the, the one with the most authority, the creator, like God's son, Jesus demonstrates greatness in this unexpected way opposite of the way that men would expect to demonstrate power and it doesn't just stop with healing a blind beggar and it doesn't even just stop with humbly riding into town on a baby donkey but we're going to look at the rest of the story over the next couple of months uh, as we finish out Matthew but um, I'll I'll use what, um, what Paul tells the Philippians to kind of describe this um, irony in this unexpected way that Jesus is coming. It says uh, in Philippians two five, he says, and he's talking to a church, "Have this mind among yourselves. Like this is the way that you're supposed to think. <coughs> this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing." taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, so he's he's humbling himself to be like man, and being found in human form, not just becoming a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, and even the worst in the day form of torture, and the horrific, most horrific death that you could die, death on a cross. God coming to the lowest possible position, even, even for man. And this is demonstrated, I think, in the passage that we're looking at in Matthew, where you take the ultimate greatest who becomes the ultimate servant. And so kind of just to put this in, in our court now, kind of in our um, application... I wonder, like, do we desire this kind of greatness that Jesus uh, seems to be calling his disciples to? Do we desire greatness as God sees it? Do we desire greatness according to God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? And that's, I think, what he's asking uh, James and John, are you able to drink this cup? If you really know what you're asking for so I think probably for, for some of us I think we do desire that the, the greatness that only that, that God describes that, that, that Jesus uh, demonstrates like yes we, I would say we want that in our lives but some of us might not even want that in our lives that not, might not be a desire of yours in which case do these things and if you do these things um, maybe you'll experience some uh, maybe a little bit of authority or a little bit of power you might like experience some, some, uh, a little bit of benefit in that in this life, I can't guarantee it but maybe you can, you can get there um, I can guarantee that it's going to be short lived and uh, like the, the Pharisees in chapter 6 I think of Matthew who are trying to kind of make a name for themselves and they want to look really good and have people think highly of them uh, Jesus is like okay, that's all you get. Like, you're gonna get some praise, you're gonna get some glory out of it, okay, but that's all you get. There's there's nothing that comes after that. So you can take that option, or if you do desire greatness in the kingdom of God, then do this. Drink the cup that Jesus was calling his disciples to participate in. Jesus, our example. Now, you might look at these things and you think, well, that's a bummer. Like. That doesn't look great at all, <laughs> um, but if you understand, there's something too that comes after this exercise of greatness. Came after it in Jesus' life and comes after it uh, in our own lives. Paul um, goes on in the Philippians passage that I just read for it, saying, Jesus, he didn't consider equality with God. He made He became a man. He, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Like this, this. Greatest going to the least kind of attitude of Jesus and action of Jesus. That is followed by the very next verse, it's even death on a cross, verse 9, therefore, after all of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And um, the writer of Hebrews calls, he's, he describes it like this, this one who has been made low is then crowned with glory and honor. And it's not entirely unlike us. Jesus is setting an example in all of these things. And if you look back to the, the Peter passage, you don't have to go there, but I'll read it. Remember, we were talking about how elders, um, how elders lead and how they're not supposed to domineer over people, but they're supposed to be an example to the flock. It goes on to say, when the chief shepherd appears, then you will receive unfading crown of glory. Those church leaders will. And he goes on to describe not just not just the elders, but everybody in the church is supposed to exercise humility towards each other because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. So there's, there's something still there to come. Um... We read a little bit from Ephesians on Sunday night, and um, I love as I'm reading through that, you see some of the things that God the Father does for Christ, then it, it is applied to us. So in Ephesians 1.20, it talks about this power that God worked in Christ when he, one, raised him from the dead. To seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Jesus, yes, he goes to the cross, but then he's raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. If you go down a few other verses, it starts talking about us. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, the type of resurrection, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him. Listen to this. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you see, there's, there's a... There's a, a, a postponed, not yet fully realized glory that even in maybe the seemingly bummer of this type of life is still yet to come. If you truly desire, and I think it's a good desire to have greatness in, in, in the way that God wants us to understand greatness, then do this, drink the cup of Jesus, honor, you'll receive the honor of God you'll you'll receive this position of authority, but this this part right here is not how the world expects us to look in our greatness, right? But this is what he calls us to.